When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast, The Eye Test, with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche, and after 22 years, Raymond Marsh! The Sickest NHL Podcast, it's gonna be sick. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. Pierre McGuire and myself, Jimmy Murphy. And we're going to get right into it here because we've got a very special guest joining us today. Uh, Terry Ryan, who you might have seen. He's all over the headlines right now for all the right reasons. And uh, before we bring him on, I'm going to play a clip here uh, from his press conference after he played his first pro game and maybe his last in over 20 years uh, and just what it meant to him. Uh, to have his daughter there. This one really pulled at the heartstrings and, and it, it shows you what it's all about. So give a listen here. This is up there with, just because of the odds of all this, it's up there with my first NHL game. And by, I don't know, but it's more unexpected and intriguing just the way it went down. And um, yeah, it's, sorry, my daughter was there. She, she just hadn't seen me ever play pro and um, she's 13 and you know I just wanted to go out there and I knew her and her friends were here and I didn't want embarrassment and I just kept thinking about it and she's really when she was born my life just got so much better I just my pro career was even at that point almost a decade in the past and I just didn't see this coming and you know just look up and, and see her there and to hear the ovation I never thought I'd hear that ovation again in my life. And uh, you just never know. I, I didn't know if people were thinking, this guy's nearly 50 years old, what are we doing? Is this a publicity stunt? I remember when I played in the American League and Gordie Howe came in, I think it was with Syracuse or Detroit Vipers maybe. And, and you know, he had that one shift. And I think some people thought that it was a publicity stunt, but I wouldn't have done it if it was a publicity stunt. I skate and I, when I got it here today, I said, Matt, like, if, if you want me to play, I'll, I'll play the way I always did. I, and that's really all I could do. And I, I wasn't planning on fighting. Obviously, I know that it's not as big a part of the game anymore. I'm fine with that. But still, I don't know. I turn around and my buddy, my teammate, he's got his helmet off. I did a minor bit of homework on players. I knew that Walker mixes it up a bit. Why do I have to lose? I'm supposed to lose that fight, right? It's like when I fought Taidomi when I was 18. Unless he kills me, people are going to go... WTF. And I just figured, again, no plans on that, but I'm going to play the way I'm going to play, supposing I'm 60 or 20. That's great. That's great stuff. Uh, let's bring him right in right now. Terry Ryan joining us here on the eye test. TR, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Good to catch up again, both of you guys. It's been a while, but yeah, uh, it has. it's an honor it has. to be We've here. Yeah. talking about you all week and actually, uh, Pierre uh, recalled that he actually broadcast all eight games you played in the NHL, my friend. 
I, I remember, uh, you know, coming across Pierre many times back in the day. I thought there would be more of them, and that chapter kind of closed. So it's real, it's real cool uh, to, to talk to both of you here today. And for the circumstance, you know, I didn't, guys. Honestly, I, I know you guys probably realize this, but a lot of people are still asking me if that was some sort of stunt, if they knew it, because no. it happened on my birthday. Yeah. And I'll, but, but it really wasn't. It was yeah. just, it was no. wow. If the stars have ever aligned in one spot for so many things to go right. Uh, or possibly wrong if it didn't work out right. You know, but, That's amazing, though, Terry and Jimmy. I can tell you this. The one thing that is not fake about anything you do, Terry, is your passion and your honoring of the game. And I've known that since you were a kid that was playing in Tri-City with Damon Lanko and Brian Boucher, uh, or, you know, when you were playing in, in Freddie Beach. You know, and, and I was watching you play there. I think you played for Christian Bordlow there, if I remember correctly. Uh, Paul and um, oh, Paul, sorry, Paul and Bord, Paul and Bordlow. Yeah, yeah, and his son Sebastian was on our team. Yeah, uh, and I was, Cindy was Paul, there. I yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. Uh, Donnie was Donald Brashear there, and then he Donald had just I went I came into Freddie as he was leaving, but I got called up my look when I was eighteen from junior, as you do the end of the year, and we met, and actually we came across each other. We we got in it. Vista Cups in camp, uh, but but Brash was actually real good. He took me under his wing in, in one way or another when I was 19, 20. Like, oh, he flew over here to visit. Didn't didn't say much, but, you know, a real quiet kind of guy, if you can believe that, back then. And Brash flew over here to spend time at George Street uh, Festival with me like 20, 25 years ago. Well, um, I, I can tell you, Jimmy, I've been to George Street a couple times, especially during World Junior Camps. It's a hell of a place to go. It's not a, yeah. and, and I didn't imbibe in the screech, but that's okay. I had other things that made it fun. But, you know, Jimmy, and Terry will appreciate this because the American Hockey League never gets old. It's I think it's the best developmental league in the world. I really do. And I think Terry would agree that. I, re I remember during a lockout season, I was working in Ottawa, and, and I, they sent me down to PEI. Our farm team was in PEI. And we had a player by the name of Darcy Simon. He's a tough guy. And, and, yeah, really. and a gentleman, right, Terry? Like, tough, but yep, a gentleman. Real good guy, yeah. I'm going to say I'm gonna say that he fought Donald Brashear 16 times in one season. And they're former they were former teammates. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And, yep. and, Terry, you know what I'm talking about. Like, Darcy Simon was a tough cookie. He is a tough – and a great teammate. Yep. Yeah, and back then – there wasn't social media and everything, so you relied on stories a little bit more. So by the time I got to camp, you know, guys like Darcy Simon, definitely Brash. People forget Brash had 25 or 30 goals in the A, right? Like, he I did. looked up to Brash. Outside of all that tough guy stuff, he, he had a nose for the net. Like, he did. Uh -huh. You don't realize that. And Darcy Simon was good friends with a guy I played with there my first year, Jerry Fleming, big, oh, tough guy. Big, six big Jerry, big Jerry. And Jerry introduced me to all those guys. On, early on, and guys, I talk about one of my friends that passed away, you know, Greg Bird Dog Smith. And Bird was really? ruthless on the ice, but he liked the fact that I that I didn't back down from him. And Bird made here home, made St. John's Newfoundland home in the off season. And I got to know those guys pretty well. I'm glad I did because to me, they were like they were almost like bigger than the game because of these stories I'd heard, like Paul Bunyan or Davy Crockett kind of things, right? Like I'm going, What? Really? They did what? And I got to know these guys. And you know, I love a good story. I have a folklore degree with an English minor. You know, I learned, I'm glad I learned how to like articulate myself on paper and, and, and put out my book and all that. But I took folklore because I, I enjoy those, you know, the characters of, of the game. You know, my dad played pro 
in the seventies. And there was a lot more nicknames, you know, um, I always loved Jimmy pie face McKenzie. I mean, come on. Right. And, and it seemed like everybody had a, a name or, or, or a, an attitude or some kind of, not everybody, but every team had four or five characters of the game. Right. And so I happened to come through when there were so many of those characters that I could absorb things yeah. off of. So the stats on hockey DB might not look like it. It was, you know, outside of, I made a bad decision when I was younger. I didn't go back to camp. I didn't get along with Michelle Tyrion, but I didn't handle that the right way. I never really went in and shook his hand and said, okay, Michelle, what do we need to do here? Like, I don't like you. You don't like me. Why? And now what do we do? And, and you know, so both of us were, I mean, I was a rookie co- a player. He was a rookie coach. So there's things mm-hmm. I would do differently. But what people don't see on Hockey DB with those eight games is like 96, 97. I was there all year to practice and hang out with the guys. And then I'd be there all in the summers. And, you know, they, they became real good friends of mine. I wish I played longer, but I don't have a time machine. And over time, um, I learned from my mistakes. But unfortunately, I was back here. My career was long over. I was either working for Red Bull or in school. Um you know, I really learned about a lot about life in between pro games there in those two decades. And not that you asked, but the, the special thing about this time is that I got to go out on my own terms. The first yeah. time I didn't. And that really, I was the biggest one to blame for that. And uh, I'm really glad that it worked out this way. We're glad for you too, Terry. You know, and one thing, I, like I told you in that text I sent you, struck a nerve with me just being a father of a daughter, similar age. She's 12, almost Penny's age as well. Maddie. And, you know, I've, I've made my share of mistakes and kind of had to make my comeback story as well. And, you know, I don't think it happens without her. And she, they, you know, you know, those two, Perry, you're a father. They, they put things into perspective and you start to realize, you know, it's not about me anymore. It's, it's about her or a son, if you have it. And, and just seeing you say that and the raw emotion, you really hit me hard and in, in a great way. And, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. I know. I mean, I feel like I know Maddie because I follow you. And look, we used to hang out. I I just don't see you as much anymore. But, uh, you know, I'm very aware of everything that goes on. I'm glad social media gets a bad rap. I'm glad from that perspective I can keep in touch with people. Exactly. And, you know, for me, I left home at 14. I'm an only child. Like, I think my book maybe reflects this, but like hockey is a vehicle to connect me to everything I've done in my life. So whether you want to define me by the Montreal experience, fine, you can. But I think that's lazy. I, I I went to the, there's lots of unique stuff and I always needed good teammates around me. I'm an only child. Imagine going to play junior in BC at the time, 14 years old, first year Bantam and going out there and playing junior. I needed all my teammates to get on board just like last night or Sunday night. Be like, you can say what you want, but I'm out there and there's players that are connected with the St. John's Maple Leafs that are prospects Yeah, and they've got to kind of, They've got to look the other way because I'm going to get a shift. And if you know it's one, two, three, four, five, six ships, whatever it was, that's more ships that they're not out there. And everybody got on board just like when I went out to Quinnell at 14. I went to a Quinnell. Most guys were local. Now I'm yeah. taking a spot from somebody, right? And I could feel yeah. that tension a little bit. But the more I got to know those guys, um, and it was a, a rougher era, so you could really prove yourself out there when it came to being, you, you know, picking up for your teammates and stuff maybe a little easier. There were more of those situations. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really ironic that this happened because guys, I respect the way hockey's going. Um, I get it. I mean, I I'm one that likes fights in the game. I'm not going to, if, if they leave, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and cling to it. If most people don't want it, I'm just saying I prefer it now mm-hmm. for a reason. 
I get, I think we're in a good spot. People say, oh, well, there's no more fighting, but, but there's still like 300 a year. <laughs> like there's still a lot. If you yeah. have another sport and you look at ours and there is something neat about, you know, that respect. I told uh, Penny Lane being my daughter that came, I said like, you know why I fought there, right? Because guys, the situation presented itself Just, like, for a second. It was a time machine and it was 1997. My, my friend got hit. I didn't pick that. If I picked that fight in the first period, I'm playing up to what a lot of people expected. First of all, I'm embarrassing my generation of player because uh -huh. I wanted to prove I could play a little bit right yeah. now. But if something happens now that I jump in there as a teammate, that's completely different. And my buddy, James Melindy, who's been the captain of that team, one of the heart and soul players that they've had their whole existence. He sits here now, plays mostly home games, the odd road because he's a firefighter and he does both. He's got wow. a passion for the game. Like I do. He's just a lot younger, but I've known him from day one. I knew him since he's 10 years old, watching mm -hmm. him and proud of him. And, you know, so when I looked down and he I, I thought he got run worse than it, it didn't end up being too dirty, but it looked like it to me. And I'm on the ice. And, exactly. you know, at some point, like I, I tried to explain in the in the presser, you know, they hired me to play, though. Outside of that novelty, I'm still hired to play. And the guys, there's five on the team. And then there's Adam Party, the assistant coach that they had to really vouch. I'm sure from Matt, Matt Cook's point of view, this is ludicrous. But those guys knew because they skate with them all the time and I play ball hockey in the summers and they know I'm still passionate for it. And, you know, I would have loved to keep playing, but my ankle got hurt. But yeah. Zach called and, you know, a few of the other guys were like, you know, T-Bone, you got the cardio. We know that. And I was just like, boys, hopefully I can keep up with the play, you know, but, but not that you asked, but, you know, all of it came together and I'm, Matt Cook did not have to put me on the ice and it would have been a nice story just to start the game and reset right. kind of my exit from it. But um, no, this got flying and, and to get back to it, sorry, but my, my daughter, I said, right. Like, you know why I said, like, she plays soccer, you know um, I didn't force hockey on her younger I, I, looking back. I don't know if I did her a disservice, but I, team sports are the main thing to me. So like I'm, yeah. she, she plays soccer at a high level. She's on the provincial team one of the better players and she plays a bit of basketball because she's athletic and she can handle it. But, you know, <laughs> I just like that. I wanted her to be involved in, in, in sports. I think a sports dressing room is a metaphor for life in a lot of ways. If you're successful within that room, you're probably going to be a leader in the real world. Right. So mm -hmm. whether it's hockey or volleyball or basketball or soccer, it didn't matter to me. And so I said to her, you know, that's not in your sport. Now, the beautiful thing about hockey is that it's so skilled and so finesse, and at the same time, it can be so tough and unforgiving. And there's hits and there's fights, and that's part of it. So I said, there's a time and a place for it in hockey, and that was the time. Yeah. And there's a respect that in, that that's involved, and that's why I knocked on his room after, and I shook his hand, just like I used to back in the day if something oh, wow. went awry out there. You know, like that's, and I was taught that by my elders, by Ty Domi, one of the first people I ever fought in professional hockey, who's one of the first people to reach out. I've never hung out with Ty Domi, but we fought a few times and he respected it back then. And there, there was a, you know, there still exists a code. It might be a little blurrier to, to obviously see, but it still exists. And Zach Walker came out. I didn't realize he was from Boise, Idaho. He said, yeah, I'm from Boise. I said, my God, I played there. And I, and he said, I know. And I said, oh God, he would have been three years old. You know, I, 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 and, and that's the beautiful thing about hockey. People might see the fight. Oh, you barbarian. I'm like, no, but we were having, uh, you know, a chat after the game and half their team came over to green sleeves and we had a chat and we were sharing stories. It was great. It's the beautiful thing about hockey. Oh, you, that's that awesome. Mix. That's good. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, I can tell you one thing. I, I remember doing Philip Samuelson's first ever NHL game. I coached his father, Olfie, uh in Pittsburgh, and I'm going, I remember when that little kid was running around our dressing room in diapers. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like fighting somebody, but it's, you know, you coach the father and you see the kid and you're like, holy moly. Um, yeah. One of the things, and I watched you play so much in junior, Terry, you had this amazing relationship with Damon Lanco on the ice. Yeah. How was it off the ice? I was, it was, it was good. You know, um, Lanx, I, I believe he's still, we talk through texts and once in a while, Lanx won't let a year go by that we don't talk. As time started to pass from junior, especially what happened to me, it, I think, you know, Bush too. I still talk to Bush all the time. We look back together, man. Um, I, I went eighth overall. Jamin went fifth. And Luke Bush went 21st or 22nd, yeah. three first rounders from Tri-City, you know, and and we all went there. We didn't know. And, and Lanks of all of us, you know, coming in, I, I think I was probably the biggest prospect that they picked in a long time. Lanks was I'm not saying he wasn't. I just mean he really grew into his own in Tri-Cities. And then we right. went outside the box to bring in Bush. And all of a sudden we look at each other after like the first week of the season and we're like, whoa, we're rated pretty high. So we got to ride that together. And that'll bring you together, like in a way that you can't really explain because you're going through this roller coaster ride of ups and downs, and everybody wants a piece of you. And every night you're going out there, and you know, part of the pressure isn't just to win as a team, but I got to put up stats and I got to do this and that. And this is expected of me. And uh, the, the interviews were just starting. And so I could go into him or, or the boys and bounce some ideas off them. We did that together. And uh, I don't think there's any way that we could ever be separated uh, from the, that that was a big time connection that goes beyond hockey that goes beyond um just even a regular friendship you know that's in our blood and, and the boys are real good to answer your question how Lanks was off the ice a man of very few words but we hung out a lot he let me do the talking and i think much like a relationship where you know some you know um there might be a married couple and they're opposites and you go, what we weren't exactly opposites, but um, we, we, we had, I, I think the differences between me and Damon in particular brought us together. He embraced the way I was and I did him. And we're kind of from different parts of the tracks when it comes to energetic personalities, let's say, you know, Jimmy, what's amazing though about Damon, Damon played over a thousand games in the national hockey league. Like, mm. I don't think that gets nearly enough credit in an era when a thousand games, like five hundred games, was a lot. A thousand games, a heck of a career. It's a heck of a number. Yeah, you know. And and Brian Boucher had a tremendous career with a lot of different teams, but he, yeah. he had an amazing. Like in those days, a kid from Rhode Island's not going out to play in the Western Hockey League. It's just like, you know, if you look yeah. what Terry did, there are not a lot of kids leaving Newfoundland to go play out in the Western Hockey League. They're going to the Quebec League or maybe Ontario back then. Yeah. It, two, like, unbelievable pass. Pretty amazing. That's that's the other part of it. Like, we were there, and it, for, for all of us to be in that particular time and space, we knew was extremely fortunate. And I say fortunate because we got to get fortunate because we're friends more than anything. And um, it, it's, it's one thing to get to ride it out together, but the time that we're doing that were boys growing into men. And that means a lot, you know, like, you know, but, but I met Lanks at camp, I guess I'm 15, I'm 14 coming in. He's 15. 
you know, because the draft is so young out there. It's when you're 14 years old. Bantam draft. So, you know, that's a Bantam that, draft. That's, yeah. yeah, right, the Bantam draft. I went third overall yeah. in that. And Lank's got a late birthday, so I'm, I'm happy for that because he was he was on the Americans the year before I was, and he kind of he kind of experienced all that. And he, where he was a friend, and I'm like, if he can do it, I, I can do it. If he can do it, like so, he was pushing those boundaries, which made it a lot more comfortable for me. And I will say, a lot of people used to question me and my parents and that whole move about moving out west, but. It's not for everybody to play junior at 14. I get it, but it worked. It worked for me. My dad didn't push me towards it, guys. No one was – I got out there. I didn't know. I'm thinking that the whole reason I went out there was to get drafted to Tri-Cities. They told uh -huh. me that they would, and now I figured I might not play Bantam, but I didn't really know I was going to play on the junior team. I was thinking maybe midget AAA, but when I got out there and I loved playing with the visor, I was like, oh, God, please, I never want to go back to minor hockey ever again. That was in <laughs> camp, and – same thing. They had a few injuries. Now, all of a sudden, I'm skating for a junior team. Those players embrace me so much. Start yeah. of the year, guys. Well, of all of the things, and if you were just to look at the Hockey DB or the analytics, you'd, you'd see some big-time achievements in there that I should be proud of, which I am, even playing in the NHL. I mean, you know, not everybody's so fortunate um, getting drafted in the first round, but Last night or Sunday night is going to go up there with that first year. I started, guys. I couldn't even – I didn't think I could keep up with the play. Two, two, three games into it, I'm like, how am I going to survive? But the guys on the junior team really took me under under their wing. Yeah. It felt cool. And I was like, geez, you know, guys, can I, keep, can I keep playing on the junior team? And there kept being injuries. There kept being a reason to put me in. At the end of the year, I lead the team in scoring. Like that's how much these guys took me under their wing in 222 wow. minutes. Like, so I, I really came into my own there and those guys embraced me. And yeah, man, looking back, I'm like, wow, I had to metaphorically stick handle through things off the ice that, you know, that most people of five years older than me have to do for the first time. And so I needed them to for me and not let things get carried away. And they didn't. My teammates in Quinnell, uh, much like, my teammates on the growlers wow is that a span 32 years uh, <laughs> but very similar right they had to really yep. embrace the moment we'll circle it wouldn't have worked for me yeah exactly yeah terry i i wanted to just uh come in from because you come from such a tight-knit community and you, you end up going back there and and continuing your life there after hockey what was it like through all those travels and going to these different communities cultures so to speak after where you came from well look there's one thing that's different about this time and like i said not every player gets to retire on their own terms and i mm -hmm. certainly did for a long time and now i certainly can i'm like this is wild first of all but in that time you mentioned different backgrounds different cultures different people what was so unique about that game that I really didn't see coming, it was cool. I was only thinking really before, I want to keep up. My daughter's here. She was born seven years after my last professional game. She's 13. She's here with her friends. And as I was going to go out for a warm-up, I hadn't really given a, you know, I was going to do it. And I know that maybe it was subconscious, but I started to go, okay, yes, I'm in shape can I keep up with this play? You know, is this going to, yep. and I don't want to embarrass. So that's really what was on my mind. But when I got out there and warm up, I looked up and I said, wow, there was teachers from 
grade school. It was people I played. So I got. I have a life in soccer and baseball too. I'm just. I'm an uh -huh. okay amateur, but it didn't go beyond that. But I've been playing that the whole time, and yeah. ball hockey. I've, I've won world championships, and and there was people from all those walks of life. There was people in the film community, guys. Um, because of a lot, mostly my poor decisions, my my career was over, and then the injuries, of course, and I couldn't get back. I went back to school and I started a career in film. People think, oh, it's great. Yeah, he's got, he looks like a hockey player. He's playing Ted Hitchcock, guys. Five, six, maybe seven years on crew doing locations, AD work, jump how high, taking orders. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying that as a negative. I, I really enjoyed it. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's similarities. You know, there's got to be a lot of teamwork on set or else it doesn't work. But, right. All of those, but there was there was at least a hundred people from that world that had never ever been to a hockey game, let alone a Growlers game. They were there to see yeah. me, and I, you know it was a Sunday at four. We get good attendance here, but Sundays on four aren't usually sold out. This was nearly sold out, and you know, people from I I, I hate Canadians fans too, analogy. right? Canadians fans and yeah, like a a lot of people from different walks of life that I'd experienced things with, and all of a sudden they're all in one room. And they're hanging out together and they're ch exchanging stories. And some of them had heard stories, but they're like, oh, you know, did that really happen? And now they're meeting each other for the first time. It was like the ending of the movie Big Fish. Yeah. In a way, you know how I like, you know, you hear yeah. all these things and it sounds like a tall yeah. tale. And then, you know, I'm going, wow, Andrew, how did you ever come across Chris Pettigrew, my good buddy from day one? <laughs> oh, well, we were getting a beer in the intermission and I heard him talking. And, wow. and I was like, wow, this. So when I came out at the end, and all that energy was in the building, and I, I got to like skate around and really give my appreciation to them. And I realize now I'm like I wasn't that far gone this whole time. All these people have been paying attention, haven't they? You yeah. know, they've been supporting me the whole time. Yeah. I just didn't have a chance to get out here like this. And after the game, there were so many well wishers, and so many people that had stories. I sat there, guys, and I ate it up. I said, I'm I'm a growler for one day, and the boys were all waiting. That's and awesome. They were going into their all star break. It couldn't have been any better time. And not only that, it was my birthday, <laughs> but they're like, oh, they're like, no, th this is your night, and we're going to stay out and work. So we went over to Green Sleeves, the pub there that yeah. that has been the hockey bar for thirty or forty years. Long time, long uh, time. We were telling some stories, and a few guys on Adirondack came over too. And here we were with some appetizers in the middle, with some pints going back and forth, and we were all telling hockey stories. And I was like, you know, That's I'm going to cool. relish this. Whether it, and it and it wasn't a publicity stunt or a novelty, but I'm like, it it is a one day thing. But I'm gonna re, I'm, I'm gonna really embrace it because you know for that snippet of time I was a growler. I was their teammate, and I'd been watching them all along. And some of them I'm their best buddies. So, and I mean that a lot of them, five guys on that team I know real real well. Mm -hmm. And um, so to, just to experience as a hockey player, I, I don't when I said you know, a publicity stunt like Gordie Howe. I love Gordie Howe. Come on. Like, man, the way I play, I look up to him. But it yeah. was at that time, I think he wanted to play in like five decades in a row or something. So it was uh -huh. a little bit um, of, you know, there was some marketing to it. But this, like I said, if I only started the game and had that one shift, it would still would have been a nice story. But I'm so glad that Matt Cook had the confidence. After he saw me play, like, I got to be honest, after the first shift, I was like, okay, I can do this. You know, yeah. like, 20 it's years, I was kind of like riding a roller coaster. People said bike. No, this was like roller coaster because it was adrenaline. I'm going, whoa. I made a, I had to make two plays right off the bat that are hockey IQ. And I'm like, okay, let's get this ship 
going. You know, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> so he didn't have to put me out, though. And the regular, in the third, he gave me a regular shift. And, um, you know, it, it, it was electric in the building. And so point is, whether I got a shift or not, it still would have been great to warm up and to represent the Growlers. But I legit played. And, you know, there's part of that that I, I don't know. I couldn't always look back at the end of my career and be proud about it, but now I certainly can. Like that was something else, you know. To, Terry, you know, you had down. a, you, you basically Terry had a uh, awake, but he's still alive with all those yeah. people, <laughs> all the different walks of life. Because I'm thinking that as he's saying this, I'm like, the only time that really happens is when you die, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and they're oh, all sitting around you, yeah. but you were alive for it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I see that number fourteen with the name Ryan over it. There you go, Montreal Canadian sweater. Jimmy, this is predating you and Terry, but when I was a kid growing up in Montreal, Claude Provo wore number 14, one of the best defensive forwards in the history of the National Hockey League. And Mario Tremblay wore number 14 yes. for the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm wondering, Terry, when you were in Montreal, Mario was just getting out of the coaching gig. Alain Vigneault had come in. Did you ever talk to Mario about wearing number 14? Did you ever talk to Mario at all about his role? Just so everybody understands, I don't even know if Terry knows this. Mario Tromley was the first 18-year-old player to ever play for the Montreal Canadiens. Wow. No 18-year-old had ever played for Montreal until Mario Tromley played for them. Did not know that, uh, but the number wasn't lost on me. He came in, and he was running things. He was the coach for, for uh, as you know, obviously. And when I went to my first camp, um, he, he had a chat. Number 14 was sitting there waiting for me, which is weird. I'll tell you why. I didn't think in the Canadians organization I could ever get 14 because, you know, usually I saw guys coming in and, you know, even my buddies, Aaron Asham, Michael Ryder, who played for, you know, they were like number 60 something, 72, yeah. I think, you know, so, and, and, and there's lots of examples around that, but for that reason, now it was sitting there already. So I asked Mario and he winked at me and he led me to believe that he was so, he was okay with me wearing it, which was cool. And I, I was number 20 in junior, but my captain, Todd Clausen, passed he away. He passed away, by the way. Tragically, he was a Pittsburgh Penguin draft pick. Yeah, he and, was. Uh, oh, I know the player very well. Yeah, you do. Great guy. And I'm yeah. 15 years old. I get called up again. Even though I was playing Trice in Quinnell, I'm still a 15-year-old bantam. And I went down there. I played a few games my First game, I fought Kale Hulse, one of the toughest guys in the league. And he gave it to me, but I got a couple of punches. Yeah, it was a tough cookie. Yeah, it was, I was 15. He loved it after the game. I him and John Baduk, Hulse and Baduk took me aside and said, man, you're nuts. And, you know, I, I remember Todd really, really getting off on that. He loved it. He loved it. And we all went out. And for a little bit, I remember, I can't remember. The team would bring me down. Cornell was relatively close, closer than Newfoundland. So, <laughs> the odd weekend, if they were playing in Kamloops or something, even when I was 14, they, as soon as they drafted me, I'd go down and I'd practice with them and stuff. The boys wanted me to know everybody by the time I was making my transition into the West. So Todd became a real good friend. And I was with um, Steve O'Rourke, whose brother Dan is a referee in the NHL, yeah, yeah, and whose son refereed the game the other day. Did the official. I couldn't believe it. Came out after. I'm like, what? You know Dano and Steve? He's like, yeah, wow. he's my dad. I went, oh, my God, because I was with Steve coaching at the Penticton Okanagan Hockey School. I needed to work on my skating like every year. Yeah. I, that was my worst attribute, and that's why when I hurt my ankle, I knew I didn't have a step to lose. I knew it was done. But um, but 
Um, sorry, my cat. Penny Lane, can you take the cat? Sorry about that. Um, where was I? I didn't have the step to lose. You're talking about Penticton, Okanagan oh, hockey. School. Penticton, and I was there with Steve O'Rourke, and we got the news about Todd because we were all going to go. It was Tri Cities. There's a thing called. Um, it's the boat races. I forget the name on it, but it's like, you know, every every town has a festival, you know, that city days or whatever. It was that sort of right. thing. And we were all going down there. I was leaving with Stevie the next day and we got we got the call. Todd and them are leaving. The boys had a carpool going from Edmonton down to um, Tri-Cities and that tragic event happened. And he really was one of the first that had an impact because I really, really looked up to him. Obviously he's the captain. He's drafted to Pittsburgh and he was a clear talent out there. And he, was such make, a he was an NHL player. He was going to play. He was. Really? Yeah. And so guys, Jeez. what happened, this is funny. So Dean Tilchin played on our team. Okay. Mm -hmm. In tri cities. And it's funny because I got traded for him. When I went out West, he was a 50 goal scorer. Oh, he he got he had traded from Tri City to Red Deer and became a fifty goal scorer while they while I was like languishing in Quinnell, waiting to make my entrance into the league. So the Tri City fans, I come in at sixteen, and they're going, "Well, we traded a guy who just got fifty for this guy." So there's a little bit of pressure right off the bat. Ironically, Tilts gets sent back to our team, and now for the first part of that year, it's me, him, and Lankow playing together, and we we would talk about Todd. He was, you know, played years with Dean, so they were real good friends. And we're like, what are we going to do? So we came up with the Todd Clausen Memorial Fund. And oh, for each goal that Tilly scored, um, they would put money towards a scholarship fund for Todd until he got traded again right away. Yeah. So now I'm sitting there, and I know there was guys on the team that knew him. And even though I didn't have all those games played with him, I'd spent a lot of time with him. And he really made an impact. So I went into our coach. Bob Lauks that year. And I said, do you mind if I take that over? Um, I'd really like to do that. And I winked at him. I said, Bob, I had 16 last year, 16 goals as a 16 year old. And I said, I don't know if everybody here realizes the way junior works. And I think I'm going to get more this year. And he <laughs> says, I think you are too. I said, can I take it over? He said, sure. So I took it over and I ended up getting my 50th goal on the last game of the year. Wow. And all this money donated to the Todd Klassen Memorial Fund. It was a great thing. And so when I went to Montreal, I walked in and I was going to ask them because, again, to wear anything low in Montreal is a real honor. And yeah. lo and behold, it was already waiting for me. So the stars aligned there, too. Good stuff. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. And I don't know if you remember Mario Tromley as a player, Terry, at all. He was tough. Yeah. yeah, I've heard stories. My grandfather talked about him plenty of times. He, as an 18 year old, he's fighting Dave Schultz. It's kind of like you as an 18 year old fighting Ty Domi. I mean, wow. you know, that's yeah. pretty significant. It's funny because in, in, in the ahead. years that passed, sorry, sorry, in the years that passed, I got to know that. I knew the stories when I got there, but now there's like I can see footage of Mario Tromley that I didn't really have access to in the late 90s, which is odd because we're further away from that yeah, point. But you know, with social media and everything. So, yeah. you know, I knew the stories. But, but now yeah. I really know. What people forget about the teams he was on in Montreal in the mid-'70s, they're the ones that knocked Philadelphia out. And, yeah. and back then, they really – that helped change the culture of hockey because mm -hmm. Broad Street bullies were the intimidators of all time. And you had Larry Robinson beating the tar out of Dave Schultz, and then you had Mario doing Dave Schultz, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, these guys aren't as fast and skillful. They're tough as nails. Yeah. yeah. You, you – 
can really attest to that. Look, I try to say to people, I'm like, and my dad, right, it was a product of that. My dad played in the OHA at 49, I think, nearly had 50 goals. Um, got drafted to the Minnesota Fighting Saints and the North yeah. Stars. Set the shorthanded goal record in Minnesota. What a, a weird turn of events for the Minnesota uh, Fighting Saints. But my dad is from a family of six, and he they, none of them had their degree. His dad was a waiter. His mom didn't work. They were poor. Like, they were poor. So his goal was always to get his schooling paid for. He wanted to be the first 12 brothers and sisters in his dad's side. I think wow. six on his mom's side, and no one had their, you know, again, their, their St. Joseph's efficient community is different. Well, you, I'm, not, I'm not saying they were idiots. They just never had their schooling, and, and my right. dad saw a route to do that, and that was his goal. And he says, look, hockey was, I go, why didn't you? He goes, I did go back, and I got sent down to Kalamazoo. He had 105 points, IHL All-Star. But he's <laughs> like, beyond that, I, I was proud to have a degree. I'm like, wow. But he played in that era, and so I got to know, you know, what I could, I, I read all kinds of books on it, you know, when I was younger and as, as VHS tapes became available and YouTube and everything. And I look back and I say to people, I'm like, I think the flying Frenchman doesn't do it justice. And with this Montreal, you get this. And it is, I mean, with the Maurice Richard and the beauty and the skill in it, but they were tough. There was no way to beat Philly without standing up to them. So some of that is now better than ever. Yeah. They got it like, it's HD. It's like, and you can go back and watch those games. And those guys were tough. Like oh, yeah. Larry Robinson, I have a whole new respect. I mean, I met him I, when I, he was in my radar. I knew he was a Canadian back in the day because I'm a huge fan. But, you know, he was playing on the Kings and then he became a coach. And I didn't really realize how tough that guy was. And, you know, over the years, I, I might have only played eight games, but I do use the alumni room. Rajon Hul now is a friend. I took, you know, water under the bridge. My daughter saw her first game last year. Um, Reggie well, cool. got his tickets and sat with us. You know, all that's water under the bridge. And I'm glad because I was always a Habs fan. But now that I've, I've gotten to know them all over the years, right down in yeah. the room, and like I have a whole new respect. And people that think that that team wasn't tough need to go back and reevaluate everything that they thought because they were tough. To beat the Philly yeah. Flyers, you had to be really tough. So, so just so everybody understands, Larry Robinson in a game against the Flyers hit Gary Dornhofer and broke the boards in the old Montreal Forum on oh, a wow. Broke the boards. They hit, broke they the boards. Um, but I will tell you, of all the Montreal Canadiens tough guys, and Terry needs to know this, I worked with the late, great John Ferguson, senior. I'm not sure there was ever a tougher man that played in the NHL than John Ferguson, senior. Wow. And I will tell you this. I was at a scouting meeting once, and he got really mad. I was working with him. He got really mad at one of the scouts, and he grabbed him. By this collar, and he basically lifted him out of the chair. He says, "You're getting me mad," and then he dropped him. And I was like, "Oh no, Fergie, no!" Wow, no, I've heard, I've heard, but this is firsthand stuff. Yeah, like, like, it's great. I hear these stories, and like I said, they almost get like this folklore, folklore. to them, like David yeah. Pocket. You're like, was he really yeah. that tough? As they're saying, yeah, no. For, so the the late great John Belleville would tell you when they brought John Ferguson up from Cleveland to play for the Canadians, it was to make sure nobody messed with John Ferguson. Or, or sorry, with Jean Belleville. And Fergie would just do tap dances and all these guys. And when I was a real young kid, I'm going to say maybe eight or nine years old, there was a Saturday night game between Chicago and Montreal. 
and John Ferguson fought Bobby Hull at center ice. He fought him, and he beat him up bad. Wow. And then and the whole game was going on, and the Zamboni, the the blood was still on the ice, even though they said, oh, that's really humble. I'm just telling you, like Fergie was tough as tough could be. And you know what? You mentioned Jean Beliveau, guys. I've never ever to this day been in a room with such commanding presence. Yeah. And this guy, when he walked in, in rooms with Jason, I've witnessed it too. Yeah. You know, yeah. This was like, okay, like what a level of respect that guy got as soon as he walked in. He took all the energy. I don't mean out because he spread it, but. It was all positive energy, but a very, like, I just got a presence around him. I was Laura. so lucky to yeah, talk Laura. to him. You know, it's so amazing that Terry would bring that up. I'm so proud of you for saying that because yeah. he's a larger-than-life icon. This would never happen in pro sports today. He played for the Quebec Aces in, yeah. in the Quebec Senior League. The Canadians under Frank Selke Sr. wanted to sign John Bellable. So Quebec said, no, not so. The Montreal Canadiens bought the league. They bought the league just to get in pro and then close the league. Wow. I forgot that. And uh, yeah, I, I knew that that happened. And I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. said, you know, what, we're going to let you guys play, but we're taking him. He's playing for us. Wow. That's great. I mean, I was up there guys when, when he passed away, I was living up there and I just remember like the only time I ever saw a city mourn somebody like that was if it, you know, it was a president or somebody that died, like a, yeah, a king or a mayor would have you. It, it was just, it was amazing. The outpouring of emotion they had there. Pierre, I want to ask you though, as a coach, um, how important was it to have a guy like Terry Ryan on your team when you coached? Cause you can see he was probably a glue guy. He would definitely, I imagine pass the eye test. Oh, he passed the eye test because I saw him uh, more than once. And I saw him in ju- starting in junior. So he passed the eye test for me. Um, I'll give you some of the names of guys I had the privilege of working with. Uh, Phil Bork, who was an important part of our 91 and 92 Stanley Cup winning teams. Jay Caulfield, who was a critically important part of our 91 and 92 Stanley Cup winning teams. I had the honor to coach Jim McKenzie in, in Hartford. And trust me, guys like Pat Verbeek and Andrew Castles and Jeff Sanderson got a lot of room because Big Jim could do his stuff. He did his chores really well. I also had other guys like Mark Jansons. I had other guys like Mark Puffin. I mean, guys I have so much respect for um, that did a lot of stuff that wasn't really pleasant, but they had to do it to stay in the league and stay relevant. And uh, I always had a ton of respect for those people. And I always and I know Terry, I think, was aware of it. Um, every time that he played, I, I always try to make a mention of players like him. They mm-hmm. matter so much to the well-being of an organization. They really do. I remember you really, honestly, supported me. Most, like, I don't have bad memories of, you know, just, again, I wish things worked differently. But that whole time, I, I don't have many bad memories of the media or anything. I, I got a little bit of a hard time, but I kind of deserved it. I mean, you should be under the microscope. You're a Montreal first-round pick. So I never really, and I, I was kind of used to that. Just to, just so you know, and people listening, you know, because I often get that question, but I embraced all the media that, if you want to call it pressure or whatever, and I know getting back to it, it was at first overwhelming to have guys like Guy Lafleur and Jean Beliveau and these guys there, but and imagine the first game I play like there's no glass or anything, so I could hear like these guys are behind us, 
like you know sitting down you can they're having popcorn i'm going and Re Re mark recky's next to me he's like don't be nervous i'm like no there's no need i can hear gila fleur talking about four stanley cups in the late 70s i can hear him do it in between bites of his popcorn and you know that's just normal at the, at the beginning of it i mean the, the rocket richard was alive i'm going okay this is pretty cool but it's impossible not to be nervous but after like two weeks honestly even at the first camp it went the other way because all these guys when you realize that they embrace you know your situation what the fact that you're a montreal canadian then it works the other way so yeah those guys to me all those legends that you're yvonne lambert ran the restaurant yeah. things like that names that you don't even really think of but i'm going in that right a meal after practice every day and i'm hearing stories from yvonne lambert and that has to help you in life it might not yeah. in game played in the nhl but i'm telling you learning those things at a young age certainly oh, yeah. helped that helped set me on my way to be a human you know what i mean yep <laughs> jimmy i gotta tell you got you and terry this so he's talking about not having glass behind the, the benches so we play a game in quebec the night before we're still alive in a playoffs for five points out i'm coaching hartford we beat quebec in either three two or two one we get on the bus, we get our St. Hubert, we come down to Montreal. I'm a Montreal kid coming back, you know, doing English and French interviews. It's all good. And I, my mother's sitting behind the bench, no glass, okay? So she's sitting behind the visitor's bench. So it's a night that Lyle Lodeline sets a record for most points by a Montreal Canadiens defenseman in one game. He gets six. He gets six wow. points in one game. Such I a record. I'm going batshit crazy, if you know what I mean. I'm yeah. not happy. So I'm dropping F-bombs. I'm going. And after the first period, my mother comes down. She doesn't tell anybody. She's my mom. She goes, you should be ashamed of yourself. That language is reprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> and the players are like, who's that lady? And I'm afraid to tell them it's my mom. <laughs> she just let me have it. Oh, so that's my one story in Montreal without the glass. And uh, oh, wow. this goes off of what Terry was talking about because those guys were larger than life, and they would sit oh, right yeah. behind the community. Right behind. Behind. You can hear them breathing. It was intimidating. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of Lyle Odeline, he was there my first game. Yeah, he was he was great. I uh, I scored a goal. Well, exhibition, but, you know, it's in the Montreal Forum. I scored a goal um, against uh, Boston of all teams, Jimmy, and uh, I got in a fight with Steve Leach, and they just oh, thought yeah. that was great. And Demers, it was because – and I'd gone through camp, and I had a few dust-ups with Brashear. And Jacques Demers said, look, you're going back to Tri-City. But he said, you've definitely earned a game in the forum and it's shutting down at the end of the year. So would you like to play? I'm like, sure, of course, I'd love to. <laughs> and um, so that was it. And, and Odie was playing and him and Mike Keane and Mark Lamb took me after the game. Oh, my God. They took me back to the, they were renting a spot there. And we shared stories well into the night. One of my best memories. And I remember, see, Lyle was such he, he was he was so tough and and, and outspoken and he, he was he was a larger than life individual at the time uh and he you know i like that you said he got six points because a lot of people forget that he could even handle the puck and he oh, used to yeah. do crazy things do you remember when he got the puck and he took a slap shot into the buffalo bench he I just I don't, do you remember that i remember that really standing out and that was right around that time i can't remember but yep. i remember he was on my radar and like that happened. I'm going, wow, like stuff that just never happens anymore. You know? well, Terry, I got to ask you, you went into the crush can in Moose Jaw when you were playing in Tri-City. Now, Jimmy, I'm just going to tell you right now, the crush can had probably the best ice in hockey. It was freezing okay. cold, but it was fast. It was really fast. Right. And everybody was on top of you. So think back to these days. Terry, I don't know if you were in the league yet. They had Lyle Line, 
They had Jim McKenzie. They had Mike Keene. Wow. You think guys wanted to go in there and get off no. the bus, let's say, from Brandon <laughs> after seven hours and go play at Moose Jaw? Like Iron League, eh? Imagine. Yeah. Well, imagine that. It was always – Moose Jaw was wild. Yeah, that little – can, and it had – you, you couldn't see one side if you were sitting at the top. You couldn't see yeah. the other. And and they had the old minor hockey clock, like, <laughs> and it was freezing, and the fans were on top of you. That was an intimidating place, especially. At, I, I talk about the Western League. I'm like, the Western Division was a completely different thing than the Eastern Division. It was just, like, coming from Tri-City and, you know, Portland and Seattle and, you know, warmish and certainly not as cold as the prairies. And, you know, we, we would go over and, you know, bigger cities and there was a lot of Nirvana yeah. were coming out of the whole grunge movement, Pearl Jam sound, all that was happening in Seattle. And it just seemed like, you know, and then you'd go over and I'm not putting it down. I love small towns. I mean, I live in one, but when we went to Moose Jaw and like Prince Albert and Swift Kern, I was like, wow, this is a different league we're playing in. <laughs> and they always had tough guys. Uh, who uh, read low? They had a guy, Rob Tremblay, about 5'10, 570, but he could knock anybody out in the league. Never, ever an easy place to play. So, Jimmy, you need to know this too. And I believe this was still in effect, Terry, when you were playing. Because there was a team out in the West that was just savage, they would steal the other team's pucks and warm ups. Yeah. Okay. They only allowed one team on the ice for warm up at a time. I'm not kidding. Was that, did that, was that going on when you were there, Terry? That did it go on? I'll tell you this. The entire, I don't know when that began or when it ended, but my entire Western League experience, I never, my first warm up with the other team was when I played against the Toronto or. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just tell you, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, it there was, was too many. It was really how about and, this? Coming in as a kid, I'm looking at right when these people started sending around these VHS tapes and stuff, and I'm looking at, remember the Tri City stick swinging incident in Seattle? And I'm going, what? In God's name am I getting into? And I remember being with the team on one of those trips. And when I went down, I don't know if it was Ed Shanaweth maybe was the president. He was a commissioner. He was. He was a commissioner. Commissioner. So those guys came in the room, like a group of them, and they came in and they were they were upset. They were pissed off. And they said, yeah, you guys, you think, you know what we're going to do now? We're taking away your 10-minute misconducts. So no more. So you can't try to get all these penalty minutes. If you get a 5 and a 10, only the 5 is going to count. So my whole time, that's true. So my whole time in the league, I'm going in as a 14-year-old learning this. 15, I'm getting a game, and I'm going, we can't warm up before the game because there's too many brawls, and they're taking away they're taking away 10s because guys are using them to try to elevate their penalty minutes, and I'm thinking, this is wild. And what happens? What happens? Kerry Toporowski with with uh, Spokane breaks the record anyway. He gets 512, 515 LA minutes with no tens allowed. I'm going, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, that guy was big. Time. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure all the synapses were connected there on that. Yeah. Well, Olgi Oglethorpe or what? Yeah. <laughs> It's every team had them. I mean, it was, the, yeah. I think I, I'm trying to, it, it, it's tough to really rate what was the toughest place to go into, but my area, it, it, there wasn't much tougher than Saskatoon, Wade Belak, Chris McAllister, yeah. Rhett Warner, yeah. Chad Allen. They were, they were, you know, and a slew of guys that would knock you out as soon as look at you. Guys that were skating around. Clark Wilm, one of the best open ice hitters in the history of the Western League. You couldn't put your head down. 
you every time you were on the ice against Saskatoon, they made you know they made you aware of it, and then you were hearing footsteps. Yeah, and uh, you know there was a lot of that. I I, I that the. I'm I'm not necessarily even complaining. I I used to kind of thrive on. I mean, I I would have enjoyed maybe an easier time on the ice, but you know, there's something to be said if you can handle that, right? Like I felt that I was a player that could handle that, so it might be able to separate me from the rest of the pack. So right. I kind of embraced all that, and those guys became buddies. You play against them hard enough, you know. They're like, yeah, hockey's still hockey, so I embraced that side of it more than anything. But looking back. God, it was it wasn't for everybody. It was a tough go, you know. Yeah, I want to Terry. Just your your take actually on hockey today. I mean, obviously, as you said in the beginning, there's not much, not much uh, fighting anymore. But you said something there where you had to know when a guy was on the ice. That's one thing I noticed, and I don't know if you do too. That players don't do that enough. Like they're not aware enough, you know, to know. All right, that guy could really hurt me out there and I need to have my head up. And I, I think that's something that's kind of faded from the game though. No? I think, yeah. I mean, even the other day when we came in and towards the end of my go, and I, I'm not totally disconnected at any point from hockey. I know how it works. I've done some scouting, you know, there's been a team here for better or worse most of the time. Right. Um, so I, I, but I, you know, all this video and stuff before the game, people think maybe we weren't prepared back then. We didn't do as much of that. But definitely everybody did their homework and like I knew who everybody was, not just in a fighting manner, but, you know, I'd, I'd know I, I had to be aware yeah. of who was out there. I mean, I didn't have to, but you we said were the other day people. you did research on Walker. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah I love that. that. I love that. When you said that, it was great. Come, well, for sure. The game notes used to come around. And they were in your stall. So you would yeah. get there and then I would highlight certain things. And you know, eventually it would, you would just learn over through reading and studying that way. But, you know, I, I think even way back, I think you could go way back. The methods might be different, but, you know, hockey players, sports athletes, they're, they're going to try to be prepared. It's just a little bit different now. And where do I think hockey's at? Look, I know a lot of old school guys. A lot of my heroes are from the old game, right? I grew up watching it. They say your heroes are formed when you're 10 or 12 years old. And, you know, people that played and, and then they retire, they tend to be, nostalgic and the romanticized the era that they played in look there's a lot i loved about my era there's a lot i love now the game's certainly faster it's more inclusive that's for sure i know people talk about fighting being gone it's not gone though there's hundreds no, each year either. um right and we'll see where that goes you know am i going to dwell on it no uh you know players are more prepared they're definitely and and there's something to see in that i mean are you kidding me how fast the game is now? If you're not impressed going to an NHL game and seeing how fast yeah. those guys make moves and, 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 they're, and you know, I, I, there's lots I love about the era I played in. Um, but hockey has gone for better or for worse, I think. It, it, it's in a better place than it was. Um, mm -hmm. The pendulum often swings, as does society, right? It'll go two steps forward, maybe one back, maybe three steps forward, mm -hmm. maybe three back. But eventually... We get to a place, right? People could say, oh, they wear so much gear now. Yeah, they should have always worn it. Like, there's all kinds of things, you know? Oh, the net going around. Remember when the puck used to just fly up? I'm like, why was that a good thing? Why was it good not to have the net? Do you even notice it that when you're at a game? So some people just try to cling to the past. Look, there's always going to be things we can improve on. Right now, if it's me, I would take out the video offsides, and I would maybe, maybe restructure um, but the shootout, but yeah, that's a maybe. Who knows? I trust the hockey minds that are there to, to point us in the right direction. <clears throat> Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, this has been great. Terry, cannot thank you enough. This has been just outstanding. You've been yeah. outstanding. 
It was really oh, great, okay. Terry. And, and congratulations on, on everything that happened there. And uh, love to Penny and, and the cat behind you there, too. Give her a love. <laughs> <laughs> That's Princess. So the film right. set that I worked on for, for so many years is right next to uh, SPCA. And Penny uh-huh. Lane would come over. And, and I live in an area. My parents now are just like maybe two minutes down. There's a path that goes behind the houses. It used to be the old railway track. Uh-huh. And we don't have a railway anymore. So it's a nice little path that goes by a river. And I go into the SPCA, you know, with Penny Lane. And every time I come out with a kitty. So we've got a few. <laughs> a small little spot. But, it's you know, we go in and, you know, a lot of them are there. And, you know, if no one, you know, they'll suffer a pretty bad fate right away. So yeah. when we can, we like to adopt adopt uh, kittens i love animals uh, i'd have a dog but i'm just not responsible enough i'm on the road too much gotcha gotcha all right brother we appreciate you taking the time my man keep it up and uh good luck with the uh, new season coming up for shorzy eh hey thanks a lot i think you guys are gonna like it i was it was this time honestly if you liked anything in season one or two and you want to watch season three is it was so wow. tough to get through the scenes uh, uh-huh. I mean, I mean, because we were laughing so much. Now, I, I, I just think it's going to take it's going to take on a new level in just a few months. And guys, I mean this, man. If there's nothing else that happened through all this, is that I'm I'm getting in touch with with um, old hockey acquaintances, of which you guys are both uh, a couple yeah. of them. So honestly, this means the world to me as much as it does to you. So thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. Terry Thank Ryan, you, join us here. Thank you. Great seeing you. All right, Terry Ryan, join us on the eye test on the sick podcast network, man. <laughs> the only thing we were missing there, Pierre, is a couple Guinness. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you should have actually done a live remote from George street. Oh, um, I would love that. that. That is a spectacular part of the world. Um, you know, back in the day, back in the 1980s, I spent a lot of time on the road recruiting and used to go to Newfoundland a lot. They had a lot of good players. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the guys I tried to recruit from there was a kid by the name of Teddy Russell. He ended up going to UNH and had okay. a real nice career at UNH and spent a little time I playing recognize the name, yeah. in Hershey. And uh, I just, I, I really got a warm, every time I went there, just the reception, the people, the passion of the people, you could just hear it in the way Terry spoke and how proud he is to be living there and obviously playing his one game coming back. Just phenomenal. Yeah. I, I have so much respect for the way Terry's handled himself uh, after his hockey career. It's It's been spectacular. It really has yeah. been. It deserves a lot of credit. Well, you know, like I said, and like I can relate, Pierre, because I've, I've had some regrets too, but, it, you know, you kind of have to learn. And I thought Terry's, what he told us and what he said after the game the other day, you need to learn to just, this This has been my life and I got to take what has happened and now make the best of it and, and bring it to a new chapter. And I, I think... He's the prime example of that. I mean, the, the, the career didn't pan out, but he's never lost his love for the game or his connection to the game. And and he's found a new niche in, in, in acting. And I, I respect that so much. I, I just think it's it's a good example for everybody out there, especially, you know, the older folks are not older. But I mean, as we get older and you, you kind of look back, oh, I should have done this. Don't worry about what you should have done. Take what you did and parlay it into something else. And you, it, you can do that. You can do that. And. Hey, God bless him. Like I said, he got to have a wake while he's alive. I love it. <laughs> we got the song Finnegan's Wake. We'll call it Terry's Wake. <laughs> there you go. That's great. Good well, stuff. Pumped up, right, tomorrow, but pumped up for tomorrow. We got Kevin Paul Dupont That's coming right. on tomorrow, which will be just outstanding. And and then- and, and we'll have to. Uh, there's a, as I found out, and you can check it out on Boston Hockey now, kind of a bogus rumor going around about Patrice Bergeron. But we'll reflect back because both – 
Kevin and I got to cover Bergeron, future Hall of Famer, and what a class act he was. And um, we'll, I'm sure we'll have some Bergeron stories there. We'll talk about the current state of the Bruins, the NHL, and, and look back on his journalism career, which has really been an amazing one. And like I said, Pierre, and you, you know, you loved when I brought it up too. I mean, one of my inspirations for becoming a hockey journalist was reading his Sunday column. Every Sunday, I look forward to that. I would shut my door and get lock myself in there and read away. And, of course, then you had Peter Gammons on baseball, Will McDonough on football. Those were the days, and yeah, that was part of Dan why Shaughnessy, I – I remember Dan Shaughnessy. Yeah, he's still going. You know, so, yeah. no, you're right on. I mean, even if – and I'm going to say this to Kevin. Even if he wrote something bad about you, you still wanted to read the column. Yeah. You know, so it was all good. It was all it's good, good stuff. It's yeah. good. And you know what you said about George? I got to get up there, Pierre, because a lot of people tell me, being a James Patrick Murphy, I would fit right in there. So, well, I think you'd be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Maybe someday we'll do that screech. together. You have to deal with the screech. If you could deal with the screech, you'd be okay. All right. I look forward to it. And I look forward to our episode tomorrow, another edition of Press Box Thursday with Kevin Paul DuPont, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame puck scribe for the Boston Globe here in the eye test. That's Pierre McGuire. I'm Jimmy Murphy. This has been another edition of the eye test on the sick podcast network. We'll talk to you tomorrow. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google play and Apple podcasts.